Do life's greatest questions seem like a mystery? Well, we're probably going to talk about it here at Appalachian Liturgy. Important questions like, are you a Jedi or an Imperial? Is oatmeal actually a breakfast cereal? Is a Catholic weekday really called a ferial? Did you know that Mr. Rogers was Presbyterial? So join us as we have a little fun talking about thy kingdom come. Okay, welcome everyone to our next episode of the Appalachian Liturgy Podcast. I am Justin Stacy, And I'm Brooke Atchley. And I'm Justin Bowling. And tonight we have our guest, uh, Father Boyd. Uh, Father Boyd is the priest, uh, a priest in the Episcopal Church. He is a rector of St. Thomas in Abingdon and a scientist. Uh, so I think that's a very interesting story of a scientist to priesthood. So do you mind giving us a, a brief intro? Sure. I, it, it's hard to keep that brief, but I will try my darndest. Um, so yes, I, I was a scientist at the Oak Ridge National Laboratory for uh, 23 years until I'd had all the fun I could stand and this decided um, I wanted to do something else for the second half of my working career. I, in general, I like variety and I felt like Oak Ridge was a very difficult, uh, challenging place to work. I loved the work, but the red tape of working for the government was 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 pretty was pretty crazy. Could make could be a very misery, very very misery making. But while I was in Oak Ridge, uh, my wife Kathy and I we were we were uh, very involved in youth ministry, be that at the at the church or at um, as as scout leaders. I think that's a ministry too. And um, during that time, I was asked to join the church board of our Episcopal Church and help, uh, help it. And I thought, wow, I can, I can get some more visibility for my youth ministry if I do this. And, and then I got to see how the sausage was made. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but I actually found, I, I found that very, uh, very meaningful. It was actually a very fulfilling time in, in, uh, in my life serving on that board, even though the church was in a very difficult time, there was a lot of conflict in that particular parish that I wasn't aware of, and the finances were not good at the time, and our membership was declining, and so I ended up being the senior warden, which is the head of the church board, and uh, really felt the spirit uh, guiding me during that time, I think, and leading me and helping me uh, rebuild that church. I, I really felt like that. And um, interestingly, during that time, uh, are we still here? Yep. I lost y'all for a second. In interesting, during that time, Kathy and I uh, made a little trip to Italy. And uh, at that, in Italy, we visited St. Francis's church where he heard. Uh, the voice of the Lord saying, rebuild my church. And uh, I was very concerned about the state of the church at that time and, and felt that same call as well. Now, my, my faith was very important to me, even as a scientist. Uh, prayer very uh, was very important to me. 
um, I had a, a, um, I worked in, I worked in uh, several different areas, nanotechnology being one of them. Uh, worked uh, in a clean room with some very uh, uh, sophisticated but cantankerous equipment um, and uh, often had to uh, pray over the equipment or pray for, <laughs> for the demons to be cast out of it <laughs> when it wouldn't behave. I can understand that. Maybe that's what we need to do with Stacy's internet connection. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but I, I really found prayer working. Um, I mean, prayer was very Im important part of my life and, and I felt guided and led. And, um, and then when the, I had come to the decision that it was getting close to time to leave Oak Ridge. And right, after, right around that time, the, the opportunity or pathway opened up to go to seminary. And Kathy and I had paid off almost all of our debt pretty debt free and and just seemed like well, well why not it really really felt like that's where the spirit was leading us and guiding us awesome well thank you very much for that uh, it's a very very interesting story to uh the priesthood Absolutely. i love hearing um, people's stories about how they're called to whatever it is that they're being called to yep yeah. All right, good stuff. Well, uh, tonight we are going to um, try to talk about a bit about uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, the Thanksgiving's coming up, uh, and we're going to try to tie that in with the Eucharist, because um, uh, the, the Eucharist in Greek means Thanksgiving. So I thought that would be a, a very appropriate for this episode. Uh, so I guess first, um, what what Thanksgiving traditions do uh do you all celebrate are, are you going to be celebrating this year with the pandemic going on um and you know what's what traditions does the church normally do for thanksgiving uh i guess that's where we can kick it off i'll go oh go ahead um see for us christmas is always a really hard time for us to travel um, because of all the, the special services and, and stuff. So we always traveled for Thanksgiving. So we would normally travel and uh, spend Wednesday evening dinner with my husband's family and all of the slew of kids. And, you know, it's just a kind of a raucous affair. Um, it used to be that his side of the family was, it was a very serious kind of occasion uh, exquisite tablescapes and it was all set out his mom used to host all the fancy dishes and everything and then on Thursday we would spend it with my side of the family and we used to laugh that it was like total opposite so his side of the family was very formal you kind of dressed up you had play settings with your names at the table and my side of the family it's just kind of chaos and we ate off of like chinette that's what my kids would say like we didn't just have the paper plates we had like chinette um but it was just loud and gregarious and um we were a competitive bunch so we always played games so if the weather was good there was always lawn darts and uh cornhole and ladder ball and, and i mean we went hardcore with like tournament brackets and stuff and ping pong games and um so, so most of that, no, well, actually, mo none of that is happening this year. So we're going to um, be together with just kind of our immediate family and um, have a low-key Thanksgiving. Yeah. What? Go ahead, Bowling. 
Oh yeah. Uh, so I guess the weirdest part for Thanksgiving for us, the first couple of years we got married was trying to figure out a rhythm of, you know, how we split the time and we were terrible at it the first couple of years. And that's, uh, uh, <laughs> it was always something that we almost looked forward to and dreaded at the same time, because the, the tradition was always that my family would go over to my grandma's house, my mom's mom, and there would be like, like you know, 30 or 40 people over there. It was a total free for all, like kind of Brooke was saying, it was just, it's a, it's a mess, but they would eat about two o'clock while Sarah's parents would have her dad over and just a few other people, but they would eat about four. And so there's only a two hour gap there. And when, when nobody really wanted to be the one that suggested, you know, like, oh, hey, let's, uh, you know, let's change the time. And so for the first few years, we just always, you know, would go to one house and go to the, and then go to the next one and eat. And then I was basically, you know, comatose for the rest of the night because I couldn't do anything else but sit in a recliner and <laughs> try to breathe. <laughs> but yeah, we, we switched it up. We, we, uh, uh, her dad doesn't come over there anymore. So we were able to kind of readjust the plans. But yeah, I think this year it's a, uh, Everything's going to be way more low key. We may go visit my parents and uh, Meg and her parents, but it's not going to be the same type of, uh, you know, rowdy event that it usually is in the past. Yeah. What about you, Father Boyd? Well, Thanksgiving is is uh, one of my favorite holidays. I, th I think, um, and I think it's because there's, in general, there's lower expectations, or that's how I've always felt. It's not the the pressure of Christmas and the high expectations, sometimes high anxiety and sometimes emotions are a little afraid, I think, I think at Christmas. But, um, but I've always gathered mostly with my father's family and uh, Kathy and I have carried on that tradition because we, we, we typically lived in the same city with her family. So we saw them all the time, but Thanksgiving was a time when we could, we could, uh, travel and see my parents, so that's more what more what we did. And um, so, you know, growing up, um, we would rotate between my uh, between our house and my father's one of my father's sister's houses. And typically, there was a game of football in the front yard and football on the TV, and and then lots of lots of good lots of good food and 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 fellowship. Definitely, um, our uh, I think when I think of Thanksgiving, um, one of our traditional dishes in my family is garlic cheese grits with cornflakes uh, mm. baked on, on top. And so uh, there has to be, in my opinion, uh, garlic cheese grits. That's my favorite, uh, my favorite holiday dish is, is that. I don't think I've ever tried that. That sounds pretty good. Um, I have had that before, but it's not something I associate with Thanksgiving, although I wouldn't complain. That sounds delicious. So what food do you associate with Thanksgiving? Broccoli casserole. <laughs> Sweet potato casserole. And that as well. Deviled eggs. Deviled eggs. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We got yeah. the smartest boy here. I've seen um, I've seen those uh, Baby Yoda memes lately of uh, of the deviled eggs, and that's exactly the way I was when I was a kid. And my dad, that's exactly the way my dad is now. Like he's always taking you know the eggs when you shouldn't be taking them yet, but it doesn't matter. We're going to work on them. So good. Yeah, so I so wanted to share that meme with like my whole family because we're all, but none of them watch it, and they right. so totally lost on them. But I, I feel you. Feel yeah. you. With uh, Father Boy, do you watch uh, Mandalorian? We we do watch Mandalorian. We we um, 
we, we sort of grieved when we got through season one. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so uh, we, we have um, been holding back on starting season two and have been rewatching season one. Okay. Wanting to, to speed through season two the way. Yeah. We well, then you will know the scene. You will know and you'll be like, oh, that is what they were talking about. Yeah. Oh, he's probably seen it, the memes on, you know, social media this week. <laughs> I, I, I hate to say I haven't seen the Baby Yoda memes on social Well, media you, you haven't been spoiled. Then. I haven't <laughs> seen the episode, but I have seen the memes, and I know what it refers to, unfortunately. <laughs> Baby Yoda is probably one of the best things that's ever happened to Star Wars. It is. <laughs> they redeemed Jar Jar Binks with Baby Yoda. Yeah. This is true. That is true. Honestly, I think the Star Wars, I mean, Mandalorian series, and I'm going to bank that any series that they come with, like the the, the TV series, uh, is going to be better than the movies. I like Mandalorian better than the, the uh, last trilogy that we got. Uh, Wasn't that Lucas's original vision for it to be a TV series, I feel like? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Maybe I made that up. Don't take that. As... <laughs> but it's so good as a, as a series. Absolutely with you that the Mandalorian is better than the last trilogy. Yeah. And yeah. I will say their special effects budget had to go up for season two. Yes, they absolutely did. Yeah, it's so good. Yep. We are way in the weeds. So Stacey, tell us about Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so when I was a kid, uh, we used to go to my grandma's and um, my, my parents lived right beside of my grandma is my dad's parents. Uh, so, so we would go there for Thanksgiving and, um, I'll, you know, my parents would be there, my aunts, uncles, uh, their kids, we, we, it's just, it was just a big gathering, uh, at their house. Um, and then, uh, my mom's, uh, grandma, my great grandma and my great aunt would be, they, they would always stay at our house for Thanksgiving at, per my request. Like I, there would be times I would actually cry. And again, this was before I was even a teenager. This was, you know, this six, seven, eight, nine, ten. This was, like, this was <laughs> 10 minutes ago, but no, uh, you know, I would want them to come to my house because one of the traditions that I just made myself, I guess, is I wanted to decorate the tree with my great grandma. And at some point she, you know, she got so old that she really couldn't do much with it. But when I was really young, she could help decorate the tree. And we always did that after Thanksgiving dinner. Um, so that is the fondest memory that I have of Thanksgiving is what we done after Thanksgiving dinner uh, is decorating the Christmas tree. Um, then, you know, we, we kind of stopped going to my grandma's at some point and then my mom took it over and she, you know, she's been making Thanksgiving dinner for the immediate family ever since. Um, so, and this year, uh, I think we are going to go to my mom's, um, but it's, it's going to be a very, very small crowd. Um, so, uh, yeah, Thanksgiving is definitely, I love, you know, I love Thanksgiving. Um, I, I, I will, since I've been married, I do have to have, eat two meals on that Thursday. Um, mostly for the exact same reason Bowling said, like no one's willing to bring up that someone should move the day or the time. So we just end up eating two meals. Um, I'm telling you the Wednesday night Thanksgiving thing is awesome because there's no pressure. You don't have to rush off and go to the other one. Yeah, It was the best thing that we did. But let's just talk for a minute about that family pressure because mm-hmm. 
I mean, when I'm counseling couples before they get married, one of the things that I say is, have you talked about the holidays and how you're going to spend it? Because it was such, it, it wasn't a stressor on our marriage per se, but it was such a stress managing the expectations of our families. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that I say, talk about this now before two weeks before Thanksgiving. And, um, yep. You know, so it can be an issue. Yeah, yeah. So I was very happy when we 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 split the days because it just it felt like because we were the first couple to get married and on especially Aaron's side of the family, and so um, and it wasn't until some of the others started getting married that people started realizing that wow, this is really hard. You know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Talk about it before. Figure it out. All right. So I have a um, quote from a movie. And I was actually going through trying to think of Thanksgiving movies. And I couldn't think of many at all. (laughs) Um, It seems like that's not something that movies are based around a lot. So, but I I did remember this one. um, And it's not really a Thanksgiving movie, but there is a play in which they are reenacting the first Thanksgiving. And here's the quote, and I'm going to see if anyone can actually guess what this is. All right. We cannot break bread with you. You have taken the land which is rightfully ours. Years from now, my people will be forced to live in mobile homes on reservations. Your people will wear cardigans and drink highballs. We will sell our bracelets by the roadside. You will play golf and enjoy hot hors d'oeuvres. My people will have pain and degradation. Your people will have stick shifts. Does anyone know what that's from? It's from a movie in the early 90s. I have no You clue. got me. No, no earthly idea. Any guess, Father Boy? I feel like I ought to know. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I should know this. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you all would know this or not, uh, but it's... it's. Give us a clue. What, Give us a clue. Yes. Adam's Family Values. Yeah. In the sequel. You haven't seen that? Has anyone seen that? Yeah. It was one of my favorite movies growing up. And uh, there, so there was this, they, they were doing the first uh, Thanksgiving play and uh, Wednesday is dressed up in, uh, you know, <laughs> Native I American. Yes, that was Wednesday. That was and Wednesday. yeah, and uh, she just goes completely off script and th- says that and then everyone's shocked. And then like all of the, the Native American kids that are dressed up, they end up burning the entire set down. I'm positive. I would remember that. Yeah. Oh, that's why I thought, I was like, you all would remember this if, if, uh, if you watched it. I just watched it last night, actually, to refresh my memory. <laughs> I would, yeah, I would suggest that that's a good Thanksgiving movie for y'all to watch. <laughs> so speaking of Thanksgiving movies that nobody's ever heard of and <laughs> bouncing off of traditions, too, uh, the first year me and my wife celebrated Thanksgiving together, she, uh, when I went over to her house, her and her sister were like, oh, it's time to watch uh, you know, our Thanksgiving movie, our tradition that we always do. And it was this 
cartoon that I had never in my life heard of. And every time I brought it up to somebody else, nobody's ever heard of it either. It, it apparently existed, but it was Buttons and Rusty. Has anybody ever heard of this other than her? I, I just wanted to continue the streak that nobody has ever heard of this Thanksgiving movie that, that they were shocked like, that I had never heard of it. <laughs> I feel like Bowling just used us to settle a, a disagreement. Or I something. did. Now yeah. it's, on, it's recorded. It is set in stone. It's set in stone. <laughs> Nobody's <win>. ever. <laughs> and I will sleep on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds like you won. Yeah. <laughs> or lost, depending on. I mean, yeah. yes. <laughs> She's always right. Yeah. Doesn't yep. matter. <laughs> <He's always right. laughs> That's right. Um, one uh, one thing I try to watch is uh, the Peanuts Thanksgiving special. Um, I, I do watch it. I think it was in a bit of controversy last year. I don't remember the reason, but it seems like there was something with. Do you remember bowling? No. There was something. I don't know. Seems like there's always some kind of controversy with old cartoons, though. So do you watch the Macy's Day Parade? Oh yeah, that Absolutely. is something that that we watch. Yep. I mean, it's usually on. I don't know that I'm. But let's be honest, it's on. But do you know what I'm doing? I'm scouring the Black Friday ads <laughs> with my sharpie marker. Oh, that that is one of my Thanksgiving Day traditions. Believe it or not. Um, I will say that Black Friday, the Black Friday starting on Thanksgiving, has totally ruined Thanksgiving okay. tradition. Yeah, I totally to ruined. Because the last few years, uh, mom and my sister, like as soon as we're done eating, they are out the door, ready to hit the sales. And I, like this is just not Thanksgiving anymore. <laughs> yeah, so we usually have like three or four sets of, of things going around, and everybody has their own color sharpie, and we're. So Black Friday's a big, or used to be, it's not so much anymore, um, but it used to be a big deal. I mean, like we had game plans. Say like my cousin David was always on security. So if we knew that there was going to be a fight for an item or whatever, he was always the one that went with that person. Mm -hmm. So I'm the nice one in the family. So I feel like I always kind of hung back and apologized for the rest of my family um, <laughs> during Black Friday. So, um, but there were a couple of times that we were out, I mean, you know, we would do Thanksgiving and all that kind of stuff and go to sleep for a couple hours and hit the shops at three and four in the morning and sure. stand in the line and we don't do that so much anymore. I mean, a bunch of us are a lot older, um, mm. but, uh, but yeah, so it's, but it's still fun. We go through the, the ads and everybody has ads and Sharpies and we look and see and then we're all old, so we go to bed. <laughs> I think it's good that companies are um, taking more seriously the, the idea of, number one, giving employees time off during those uh, <laughs> the holiday season. Uh, but just running the sales online and doing it for the week or, you know, whatever, like that's so much more convenient and it gives people rest. And I just wish they would do that permanently. You know, I know now with the pandemic, there's going to be a lot, a lot of that. Um, I think a lot of companies have already announced they're going to be closed on Thanksgiving. Um, but I hope that that type of thing sticks. Yeah, there'll be no Black Friday shopping in our family this year. Yeah. I just, 
Yeah, it's always been something that Sarah and her mom and sister, and they make a, a girl's trip, which keeps being one more kid. And so now there's one more <laughs> new girl <laughs> that they're adding this year. But they're not going shopping this year. They're actually just going to go to a cabin instead. So they're going to keep their tradition of doing something on it, but go to a cabin and stay away from the crowds. We've, yeah. we've had the tradition of going to the theater after Ooh. Thanksgiving dinner, going to the theater Thanksgiving evening and seeing whatever the new... Uh, holiday movie is uh, coming out. I think for several years the the Lord of the Rings came out around around that time. So so that was our annual part of our annual pilgrimage was to see see the Lord of the Rings on Thanksgiving Day evening. Is the uh, drive-in uh, doing anything um, for the barter for Thanksgiving? I don't know. I know. I know they they're they're advertising uh, a Christmas Carol and a uh, Frosty as the two plays for December, hmm. but I didn't know if there's anything in November or not. Yep, I have no idea. Yep. Sleepy Hollow is still on. Oh really? It may end. They may have a little gap there. I bet they're usually their holidays start around Thanksgiving or right after. Mm-hmm. I, I think I would be surprised if if Frosty. Um, did not start around that time. We have tickets to see Frosty on the 11th of December. Yeah. We went back in the summer to watch Wizard of Oz when they were doing that. And um, I, I, I got to watch maybe 15 minutes of it. And uh, my car, my uh, Equinox battery goes dead. Oh, no. And so then I'm basically trying to get a boost. And my brother-in-law was there. So he comes to give me a boost. And... Uh, it it was the the 2015 equinox it has a weird configuration so you can't really get to the battery it's underneath a bunch of stuff in inside the hood underneath the hood so i'm i have no idea how to charge this thing um so we we mess around with it for like 30 45 minutes and then i called my dad who is a mechanic and uh i was like i don't know how to charge this thing it's the dumbest question ever but how do you charge a vehicle and uh he's like there should be a rod he said it, 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 it'll be color coded red. He said it should be a rod that's sticking up it somewhere underneath the hood. That and that's basically the positive charge. He's like, you don't have a negative on these these models. You just have a positive. Just hook up that and let it charge. And I was like, well, that's simple. So I did that and finally got it charged. But then I got to basically watch the last ten minutes of the show, and that was it. So uh, I'm definitely want to watch another play. <laughs> a great uh unique memory at least not exactly the play itself yeah but, uh, yeah it was <laughs> best play i've ever watched <laughs> like a comedy of errors that's right well um i guess let's let's jump into a more of a eucharist centered um discussion uh first i would like to ask father boyd a question to to answer specifically for my mom and that is uh you know where does the word Eucharist come from and why do we use it? <laughs> because oh, yeah. she had never heard of the word before when I was talking about it the other night. She was like, what is that? And uh, and I don't think I'd heard the term Eucharist before I started coming to the Episcopal Church either. So do you mind answering that? <laughs> yeah, well, the you know, Eucharist comes from Eucharista. It does mean, uh, you know, does mean thanks Thanksgiving. As well, I'm, I'm not sure I know the complete entomology of that word or 
how it came to be used, um, but it does mean it does mean Thanksgiving. So, yeah, I I, I think in, in well, at least the traditions I'm familiar with, communion and uh, the Lord's Supper was the primarily used terms for yeah. uh, for that. Um, so yeah, do you, did you have any? I guess uh, discussion points or or topics to guide us on this, uh, Father Boyd. Yeah, well, um, I guess when I think about the Eucharist, I my mind always begins with the with the Passover story and and the Exodus. Um, if you uh, recall the the Exodus story, Exodus twelve and the Passover, um, it is interesting that. In Exodus 12, it talks about the first Passover, but it also gives directions for uh, its remembrance in the future. It's very, very interesting that um, uh, while the, the Jewish people are, are, are leaving, um, there are also uh, instructions for how to remember it. And it's interesting. It, it, it reads like uh, it reads like a liturgy. I mean, there's very specific directions. If you if you look in Exodus 12, I have it I have it here in case I need to refer to it. But um, you know, it says uh, what to eat. Eat this lamb the same night. Eat the whole lamb. Share it. You know, specific ways to share it with a family if possible, or or join together with neighbors. Um, uh, eat it roasted over the fire and unleavened unleavened bread with bitter herbs and and then eat with your loin, loins girded sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand and eat in a hurry um, so the specific specific instructions on how to have this meal and and so the 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 passover to today um, is still a pretty well uh, a scripted a scripted meal um, as well, and the there's a, the, the the fancy theological word I, I like um, in conjunction with the Eucharist. Uh, you know, my favorite word is anamnesis, um, uh, which is which means a remembering. It's a deep a deep remembering, and so um, especially with the with the Passover. Um, when Jewish families celebrate the Passover, they eat the, the same, you know, the same food, the bitter herbs that remind of the slavery under, under Pharaoh. It's such a deep remembering that it's a participation in the uh, original Passover, um, in the original Passover meal. So it's interesting. We have this meal uh, with the Passover, and then we have a meal with the Eucharist. And I think with the Eucharist, we, we have a very, um, uh, my theology is, is very uh, similar uh, with that. Anamnesis is, is key to that. It's um, a deep remembering of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Um, I look at it not only as the Last Supper, but as his ministry and passion, the, you know, the, the whole the whole aspect of, of his uh, of Christ's life, a deep remembering of that, such that it's a it's a participation in it in it. So that uh, through the Eucharist, uh, uh, our theology is that it transcends space. Um, so that there's um, you know 
is there's only one Eucharist because it's such a deep remembering. Um, we celebrate with our, our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world. We celebrate with those who have gone before us and those who, who come after us. Um, one of my favorite, uh, maybe pop cultural uh, references to the Eucharist is, is um, uh, oh, what's that Sissy Spacek movie, um, Places in the Heart. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's a little, it's a little dated now. Um, it's really good though. If you haven't seen it, it would be a great uh, church discussion movie. The movie begins interestingly with a, with a little church service and then the people are leaving the church and you see families gathered around their tables in their homes. And, um, and it's interesting when one of the families, there's a big pile of bread on, on the table. So it's, there's some very Eucharistic subtleties there. And then uh, when the, the father, Sissy, um, Sally Fields, I'm sorry, I may have said Sissy Space, but Sally Fields is the, is the woman in the movie. Um, her husband gets called away from the dinner. He's a sheriff because there's a young, uh, young black boy who's had too much to drink and he's, uh, he's uh, gotten hold of a firearm and he's taken pot shots down by the railroad tracks. So he goes, he goes to uh, check that out and, and to stop it. The kid is very intoxicated and ends up shooting the sheriff uh, and, and killing him, ends up shooting and killing him. A white sheriff, young black man, southern uh, Texas town uh, with a uh, white supremacist community. And uh, they take matters into their own hands and take the life of the young, young black child, drag him through the drag him through the town. Very, very, you know, gut-wrenching scene. But, um, and so there's all these twists and turns in the movies. Um, Sally, uh, her, the family has a cotton plantation and, and so lots of twists and turns and, and family drama through the movie. There's a man who has an affair with his, uh, with his wife and she throws him out of the house. But the, the, the movie makes a circle and at the end of the movie, you find them back in the church, and it's it's um it's a it's more of a it's a little more um, Protestant service I think than than what I'm more familiar with. But they're passing the the tray of communion cups, and they're passing the tray, and um, and everybody essentially everybody that has been in the movie is in the pews. The sheriff is in the pew sitting next to his wife. The black boy that shot him is there beside him. The, oh, wow. The, the, um, the, the, the man and woman who are having such marital problems are holding hands there in the church. So there's all this a theme of reconciliation and this theme of, of reuniting and coming back together in, in, the, in the communion. So it's, it's a really, really powerful scene. But it reminds me of how in, in the communion, and I, I feel that um, specifically, we just, we just had All Saints and All Souls Day that we, we celebrate. I feel that I really feel this, this presence of one communion, one Eucharist during All Saints Day um, very dramatically. And, 
really feel um, the presence of those who have gone before me, my, my beloved relatives and all the communion of saints gathered around the table, especially on, on that day. But as, um, as, uh, as Mother Gata, uh, one of my spirituality professors said, you know, the, the, um, the, the curtain between heaven and earth is uh, particularly porous in the Eucharist is, is how she would say, would say that. And um, also remind us that um, the, um, the celebrant of, of the Eucharist, the celebrant of communion is sort of a stand-in. The true, we, we often refer to, uh, to that as the presider or the officiant, sometimes the celebrant. Um, there's a trend to get away from that word word celebrant because the whole congregation and our uh, tradition is viewed as, as celebrating together. But the, um, but the, the true priest is, is Christ himself of the one, of the one Eucharist. Um, so those are, those are a few thoughts and connections with, with the Passover. I thought I'd just take a break and see if y'all want to add anything or yeah. Thoughts or... I think it's really interesting, uh, just the, the, the dynamics of the, the, the time aspect of of the Lord's Supper and partaking the Lord's Supper. That's not something I wasn't aware of until, I mean, this past year, I guess, uh, when when you went through the instructed Eucharist and everything and just, just realizing that you know, we are partaking in something that is not, that, that goes outside of space and time. <laughs> and and we are partaking as as one yeah. um that is amazing to me um so that that's my general thoughts on that so i think um as you were talking father boyd and i was you know reflecting on the traditions um one that i'm in now that I, that i've spent the majority of my life in but also the traditions of my growing up years which are very different um and I heard a couple of things that you were talking about and we were reflecting on the movie, um, the fact that the Israelites were commanded to join with their neighbors, you know, if they couldn't consume all of that to join. So for me, uh, the Eucharist has always been this communal meal. It's something that we, we don't do it single. You know, it's not what I do. Um, it would be inappropriate for me, even as a clergy person, to, to engage in that by myself. Um, you know, and, and I think with uh, the pandemic, it's something that we have struggled with theologically. Like, um, so in the United Methodist Church, our bishop has given us permission to preside over uh, the Eucharist or communion uh, virtually, but many of us have really struggled with that and have chosen not to. And, and I, I'm in that camp of choosing not to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's made it real. I mean, because I just don't think you can do that singularly. You know, it, it is a gathering around the table, if you will. Um, and I love the imagery that you talked about, about, you know, it, through, through time. You know, that is something that we partake as followers of Christ. We celebrate that with all followers of Christ, even those that we don't uh, know and see and you know so those are some of my thoughts I mean it's really the ultimate Thanksgiving family meal I mean it's your church family united all across 
you know, generations across the world. And that's a pretty beautiful thing. Like, you know, sometimes in, you know, the real world, you can't always travel to meet them, but, you know, through the oneness of being in the body of Christ, you can. Mm -hmm. And I, I like that connection too. I think it's a, an appropriately named, uh, given to it. And I think it fits well into the Thanksgiving discussion because like, you know, as Paul tells us in, you know, first Thessalonians, we should give thanks in all things that can be hard to do sometimes. And the source of the Christian hope of being able to give thanks in all things is Christ is the divine life that we are able to share with him in the Eucharist. And so that, that being the source of that hope that we're able to give thanks, you know, it makes sense that it's named that really. How has the um, pandemic uh, either changed or affected your, uh, your, your, view or your partaking in the Eucharist this year I know for well I I, I I think I've taken it one time since March and I feel in exile a lot of, a lot <laughs> honestly um, so I just any any thoughts on that I will say that um, when we started in-person outside worship communion was a was the highlight of course I think anytime you're together and, and you're celebrating the Eucharist that's the high, that's the pinnacle of that worship service and um, but we really wanted to focus on that and as uh, we were participating in the liturgy and um, as a deacon in the Methodist church my role in that is the physically breaking of the bread and the presenting of the juice as the liturgy is done it was incredibly emotional for me. I mean, I just, it was indescribable because it had been so long and it, you know, um, and so I long for, for that. Um, I long for, for sharing that meal with my brothers and sisters. Um, so, I mean, I always think that it was a highlight for me, but I will never forget that that first moment um, after the pandemic started of, of breaking that bread. And, and I honestly thought I was going to have to like blow my nose in the middle of the service. I was crying so hard. So um, it was just such an emotional gut wrenching kind of response to that. Yeah, yeah we've had in-person mass for a while, you know, obviously very limited in distance, but uh, I think the two things that were the most hard were that, like you said, that initial part where we didn't have it, and it was, you know, a few months, especially when it hit during Easter, that not being a time when you can be, you know, at Mass with the Eucharist is, was really tough, and then the second one I think I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago was, you know, it was my oldest daughter's year for First Communion this year, and that was delayed by many, many months. It was originally supposed to be on Mother's Day, didn't happen then and when it did happen it was on a day that uh sarah's mom was not able to go because she was having to quarantine because of some of the covid stuff so like it was just it it did it, it hurt a little bit or a lot bit really that you know the physical nature of having people there wasn't able to happen the same way it normally would i guess my my thinking is has had to, to shift or morph a little bit over over the, the course of the pandemic. I, I never expected um, it to last this long. Uh, I was, I mean, I was hoping that, you know, we did the two or three week lockdown and was 
was hoping that things would return to normal soon. So when when we uh, sort of started the shutdown at St. Thomas, we 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 never we've not missed a Sunday of having some sort of service. If it was um, not just me and my uh, smartphone streaming to Facebook Live, we've we've done something every Sunday. But we have a tradition of morning prayer, which comes from the daily office. Um, that, that was a beautiful service and uh, is a beautiful service, but it was a, a beautiful service that was uh, probably prior to the mid-70s, probably celebrated three Sundays a month in the Episcopal Church with the communion one Sunday a month. So it just made sense to me uh, to, to go back to, to morning prayer in the daily office at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and so I had some concern that, that it was a tradition that had been lost uh, as well and that needed to, be, needed to be brought back and people needed to experience um, the daily office. And, and uh, so, so why not? So we did morning prayer for a, for a while. And typically there were four of us there, um, uh, our, our or, me, the organist, the organist's husband uh, would, would sing while she played the organ and then uh, my wife, Kathy, would assist me with the, the service. So there'd be four of us there, um, typically. And then the cell phone out in the congregation, <laughs> uh, which was, was uh, very challenging to preach to a cell phone and, and not the, the faces I'm used to seeing. You can't get an amen or a laugh or a smile or a head nod even out of a, a, a cell phone out in the middle. It is exhausting. It to is, preach to a camera. It is exhausting to preach. It's hard. It is hard to preach to a camera. Yeah. And then um, several people in our parish, uh, and, and, and I felt like it was kind of selfish for the four of us to do communion on our own there with the parish gone. I mean, um, I felt like if, if, if they were fasting, you know, from participation that I, I should do that in solidarity. But several people argued um, and, and wanted uh, the Eucharist, even if they watched it over live stream. Now, one thing that, that I did do, um, and I did, I did uh, have, you know, small communion service and bless some bread in person, and then uh, distribute that to people who wanted it. And then they could watch when we had communion and they had some blessed bread that they could eat, eat, eat with us and consume with us. And I felt like that was um, sort of the, the limit of my comfort, comfortability with, with sort of a virtual, virtual communion. But um, I think, I think it, as, as things stretched on, though, I think it became important um, to go back to doing communion and, and, and shifted um, because it, it became, you know, I, I think, um, you know, another, I'll just make a subtle transition here. Um, another scripture that I pulled um, for our discussion is, is Luke 24, or Luke 24, 13, the road to Emmaus. Um, the road to Emmaus. And, you know, when I, when I think about this, um, 
I like it that Jesus is walking down this road and and there's these there's these disciples and they're really, really struggling with, with all that's going on. They've come through Good Friday and Holy Saturday. Um, and uh, Jesus sort of says, what's up? What's going on with you guys? And, you know, what are you discussing with each other while you're walking along? And, and they sort of, you know, look at him like, and they say, you know, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place? And they're like, you know, they're way up here at, at 11 with, oh, my goodness, don't you know what's going on in the world? And that, that's sort of where we are, I think, um, today with our, our the pandemic and things, you know, uh, keep, keep, you know, the charts are, are going up pretty pretty fast and our crazy political cycle and and um you know are, are you the only one that doesn't know what's going on and i can think of jesus coming up beside us and saying hey what's going you know what's going on and we're saying it's a pandemic and crazy elections and don't you know what's going on <laughs> and jesus walking beside us and saying Let's calm down here just a second. Let's take let's take a breath. Let's take a breath. You know, and they said we we'd hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. And so then Jesus walks along and 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 the scriptures are revealed to, to them, you know, that they find Christ in God's word. They find God in God's word, and God's word comes alive to them through his uh, uh, through through his interpretation and talking about the scriptures. And then, and then they're, they're about to have dinner. They're about to have this, this supper. And they, um, they sort of have to beg Jesus to come in and they invite him in. And it sounds like he sort of hems and hawes around. And, and so they, they convince Jesus to come in and they, they sit around this table and uh, they invite him in. So there's this intentionality, I think, of inviting Jesus into our presence during this time um, of pandemic and, and crisis, maybe. And, uh, and then the switch happens. Uh, Jesus is the guest, but then somehow he becomes the host. I don't know if you noticed that, but you know, he starts out the guest, but then it, you know, they say, stay with us because it's almost the evening. And so he comes in, but then, then it says, so he went in to stay with them. And he was, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him and they recognized him in the breaking of the bread and his presence. Yep. So, um, so the, this, this sort of is where I am with the, the sort of one part of the pandemic and Eucharist is, is we need this uh, inviting Christ in uh, to our presence at this time. Uh, and and we, we feel like Jesus is particularly present in the breaking of the bread, especially in communion, that Jesus is particularly present. And we need him uh, more than ever to be particularly present with us. And I, and I, and I think... Um, that's that's where where I am uh, with that at the moment, um, and uh, I think it's a good place to be, and probably where I will stay to try to be to be centered. But um, 
we, we remember um, that Christ is with us and God is with us at this time. Amen. I, I love that. That's good. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I guess let's, let's think of one thing uh, to, to put a nice bow on this discussion. Let's think of one thing that we're thankful for this year specifically, 2020, with all the chaos, with all the pandemics, and with <laughs> all the election noise. One thing that we are particularly thankful for this year. I'll start. Go. I am um, thankful for you guys, for all of you on this call. Um, I think you you ha you have been instrumental in keeping me sane. <laughs> uh, Father Boyd, with your your spiritual guidance and all of the the different things we went through uh, with uh, the confirmation classes and. Uh, um, I'm going through EFM now and that's been a big help and it's just keeping my mind uh, busy. And I think that's, that's been a big help to not really think about what's going on a lot. Um, and, and then of course this podcast uh, has been just a delight. Uh, I have absolutely loved doing this. Um, so, you know, I'm absolutely in 2020, I think all of you are, are a highlight for me. Well, how the heck are we supposed to follow? I, know, that? I don't know. I don't know. Good, good luck. <laughs> well, I'm going to go really... next and cheat before somebody steals my boring answer. <laughs> but I'm going to go with family because, like, you know, you have to live with them every day, you know. But uh, I think that, uh, you know, they call family the domestic church. And so, like, and I think my family, I've been lucky to have a family that, you know, you never have to worry about whether they're going to be there for you or anything like that. Like, you know, that they're always there. And that's kind of like a taste of that divine, you know, family that, you know, you get with God. So I think that they've been able to center me for my whole life. And it's obviously continued on to this day. And that's nice to uh, just know that you have that. So I think for me, um, of course, it, you know, the pandemic was enough, but uh, the Methodist Church has an itinerant system, and um, my husband's a clergy person, and he got moved in the midst of the pandemic, and um, it has been very interesting in starting that. I mean, I'm still in ministry in Southwest Virginia, um, but for me, I think through this whole thing, um, has reinforced, I mean, I kind of knew it, but uh, in my soul, the, the affirmation that God is the same yesterday as God is today, as God is tomorrow. And that is something that I have found myself clinging to as everything that we knew for the last seven years changed. Um, that is what I had to cling to in the midst of the pandemic. So I think that after, I'm extremely thankful for that affirmation. But if we want to go with something cheesy that I am thankful for, um, I'm really thankful for my pets. You know, um, it's been a tough year and I don't care if it's an hour or eight hours, you walk through that door and if you don't have a dog, you may not understand this, but that dog is so happy to see you. And that has just been sometimes the spark in my day after kind of dealing with, with everybody else's uh, burdens as well, to be able to come in that and see somebody who's just like super excited to see you. And, you know, um, so yeah. So the fact that God is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow, and my dog and my cat. I mean, we can't leave fat fortune out. But. 
Well, I'm definitely uh, grateful for my wife, Kathy. Uh, we have have hunkered down together and and uh, tried to keep each other sane and watched a lot of uh, Mandalorian and uh, Schitt's Creek <laughs> um, together and, and tried to keep things real. We've, we've um, gotten on each other's nerves a few times, of course. <laughs> um, and uh, but also thankful for my church family, and I have a few. Uh, I have a, a clergy colleague group um, that I'm very, very thankful for. That um, works on family systems theory. It's a, it's out of um, it's out of it's out of out of Atlanta. Uh, and so it's that's been the, you know the, this whole thing I think has has really stretched clergy and lay people, it stretched all of us and we've had to really, um, it's brought out our idiosyncrasies and uh, so we've had to wrestle with our, our demons a little bit, uh, many of us during this time and pray through pray through them and try, try to give them to God. And, um, but I'm very thankful for you know, my wife and my church family and then um, my uh, support system, that, uh, which is the Columbia Theological Seminary group that I'm in. Awesome. And I'll just say that I'm very thankful for my family, my wife, and all my pets before I get in trouble. Yes. <laughs> Peyton's going to be growling at you in a second. They're they are all going to get mad if I don't say that. So, yes. Okay. Uh, so uh, now we've got a top five that Father Boyd uh, uh, gave us this week. So I'm so excited. Um, yes. I'm scared. I'm very scared. <laughs> All right. Segway. Appalachian Liturgy Top 5 Debate. To our top five. All right. So this week uh, we are doing top five 80s bands. Um, and surprisingly, I knew a lot of them and listened to a lot of them. So even though I was born in 86. So. Um, Such yeah. a baby. I don't know. Uh, Father Boyd, you want to kick us off with your number five in your list? I had trouble with this um, because, uh, yeah. You came up with it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I almost wondered, uh, uh, the question I asked myself, do I have stronger opinions about 80s bands or the Eucharist was a question <laughs> I had to wrestle with. Um, I was a DJ. In the oh, wow. I was a DJ in the 80s, and um, starting about 1982, my best friend uh, was a couple years older than me, and he was a DJ at the college radio station, and I would go help him with his, his radio show, and then he relocated, and I took over his radio show. So I was a, a DJ in the 80s for, I'm thinking four years-ish, or involved with radio. So my number five, I went to 10, and, and I'll skip, maybe, uh, I'll give you seven, six, and five, if that's okay. Yeah, so, we sneak in some alternate uh, yeah. honorable mentions every now and then. Yeah. We call them honorable mention. Honorable mention. Yeah. Honorable yeah. mention. And it's, it's really tough. Uh, honorable mention, Elvis Costello. Okay. Honorable mention, The Pretenders. Oh, yeah. And then number five, The Violent Femmes. 
the violent films. That no, means no that food. means nothing to me. Means nothing to you. They are making a comeback. It's it's interesting. I've heard them recently uh, in several several uh, uh, just on the essentially radio-ish or movie scenes or things like that. They are one of the violent films were one of those sort of, um, I don't know if they were from Athens, Georgia, but they were a small-ish uh, band that really, um, uh, th they were not, um, they have very unique, distinct sound, uh, very almost fraternity rock, uh, sort of sort of basic sound. Um, so yeah. Okay. Go on, number, your number four. Uh, my number four is the Talking Heads. Something I hope y'all heard the Talking Heads. Talking Heads was a great band in the 80s, David Byrne. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Tom Tom Club, um, but the rhythm section of Talking Heads. Um, Tom Tom Club had a song, Genius of Love, that was uh, 80s, early 80s hit and MTV hit, but um, uh, Tom Tom Club was a rhythm section essentially, and they formed the rhythm section of Talking Heads. So, so that was good. Okay. <laughs> Your number three. My number three is REM. Yeah. Yep. So you could, you know, maybe I could call it R number three REM B52s, Violent Films, but they sort of all fall in that same Athens, Georgia-ish sort of, sort of circle. But love, REM. Number two? Number two is The Replacements. Yeah. Mm, yep. David, um, yeah, The Replacements, Paul Westerberg's band. And it's probably, uh, you may not have heard of The Replacements, but they, uh, they probably, um, I want to say that that there's a link there, uh, a sonic link between them and the grunge of the '90s, um, as well. Keanu Reeves is in that band, right? No, <laughs> Paul Westerberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, and your number one is the Clash. Clash. Okay. Yep. Two esoteric, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right uh bowling would you like to go uh sure uh mine's a little bit different I, I, so i have listened to a lot of 80s music but my problem was i like i guess for me like the mid 70s 80s and even kind of early 90s were like one big decade in my head and i had a hard time determining what was an 80s band is this an 80s band i'd look it up and like they'd be formed in 1978 and i'm like does that count does that not count and and I just gave up and <laughs> I did, I did. But yeah, so uh, a slightly different theme than Father Boyd's, but uh, number five, uh, Guns N' Roses, what I started off with. Yep. Number four went with Bon Jovi. Okay, very good. Don't ever mention. Yeah, ACDC at three. Very good. Mm-hmm. Journey at two. Hmm. Aerosmith, rounding out the top five at number one. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> All right, I'll go. Um, so my number five, and this was petitioned uh, by my wife because it's one of her favorite bands. She's she's in love with Brett Michaels, always has been, um, and it's Poison. 
Uh, and I'm not a huge Poison fan, but she said I, it had to be on my top five list. So it's I there. had all their cassette tapes. Did you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So Poison's my number five. My number four is ATDC. Um, and I had the same struggle that Bowling did because I – I was it, the the requirements of '80s band it, to me was pretty vague. I was like, "Does this include single artists or does it have to be a band?" <laughs> I had the same thing too. <laughs> so I, I went I went with the strict interpretation of band, and and otherwise Michael Jackson would have been on here. Yeah, and he's not on here. <laughs> um, my number three is Goo Goo Dolls, Ooh. and they are. I mean. I think they are more of a nineties and that's what I was going to say too. I thought that was, but more they 90s. formed in 87. So, and I'm, I'm a big Goo Goo Doll fan. So I was like, it's, it's going to be on there. <laughs> okay. I put Nirvana then because they were formed in 1989 on December the 20th. Or well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's pretty uh, close to 90. I decided Nirvana didn't count or they would have been on my list. Yeah. <laughs> I did look um, them up too, just in case they were formed. They weren't. <laughs> yeah. My number two is Bon Jovi, and my number one is Aerosmith. All right, Brooke. All right. So I knew that I would be the only one with my number five. Okay. And it's a very chick thing, but my number five 80s band was the Bangles. Okay. I mean, Walk okay. Like an Egyptian, Eternal like- yep. Flame, Manic Monday. I mean, you know. To, then my number four was Journey. So, you know, don't stop believing any way you want it. I mean, you know. Um, number three was Ario Speedwagon. And number two was Guns N' Roses. Gosh, Welcome to the Jungle and Sweet yeah. Child of Mine. And, oh. and then <laughs> my number one was Aerosmith. Wow. We all had number one at Aerosmith, except for Father Boyd. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, was, I was into the punk scene, so <laughs> if you didn't figure that out. Yeah. I could, I could have been with you on 90s punk, but I, I don't know if I could have. I don't know too many 80s punk. <laughs> yeah, me either. So what, what do you think of when you think of 90s punk? That is where I go to Nirvana at first. Nirvana. But, yeah. I was going to put um, Green Day because I believe they formed in the '80s as well, and that would did be they? '90s punk. I think so. There's no way. I so think they I did. Had, I had a couple honorable mentions. I had okay. Fleetwood Mac. Okay. Honorable yep. mention. I had Genesis. Okay. And Run DMC. I swear, I almost put Run DMC on there too. <laughs> I had Run DMC Beastie Boys as an honorable mention. Yeah. Nice. And I also had Sugar Hill Gang as an honorable mention, but I don't I know. About I Sugar only know Hill. one song of Sugar Sugar Hill Gang. <laughs> <laughs> Great. But this was a fun, this was fun. I mean, it I'm was. happy it was. the day that, that we've had, or the, the week we've had. Um, it was good. I, I enjoyed researching to see what actually was an 80s band because I had to look up all That's, of these. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so what's our top five? Well, we had many duplicates. We had Aerosmith. That's that's number, our number one, right? Um, I think Journey was duplicated a couple of times. So Aerosmith, Journey, Guns N' Roses was on, on two lists. So we could put Guns N' Roses. We um, pull something from Father Boy. Yeah, so. what, what yeah. would you like? Because I don't know that any of us... I would. Was, I can definitely go with R.E.M. 
I could yeah, too. I, I like REM. I have, okay. I have REM as an honorable yeah. mention. So. Yep. Yeah. All right. So R, uh, REM. And we need one more. Do we have any more duplicates? ACDC was. Bon Jovi was. Um, Listen, I'd be happy with any and all of them. Yeah. Like, I know what I'm going to be listening to on the way to Virginia tomorrow morning. She'll be living what? on a prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do Bon Jovi. How about that? All right. So our final list is Journey, Guns N' Roses, Aerosmith, REM, and Bon Jovi. Cool. Well, that that was a fun exercise. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Good topic. The, I like it. Good, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Father Boyd, for that. That was, your, that was really fun. All right. Well, this was a great discussion. Uh, thanks, Father Boyd, for joining us. Um, hope to have you back. I, I know one topic I would absolutely like to, to get you to come back and talk about is uh, science and faith. I oh, feel yeah. like that would be a good one uh, to, to talk about, and there's a lot of lot of things we can touch on there. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, sometime yeah. Um, yeah. I, I talk about Teilhard de Chardin and maybe... I could talk about him a little. I don't know if there's a good way to do that over Zoom, but um, when I think of science and faith, I think of Teilhard de Chardin, and I don't know if you if you know. Yeah, does that ring a bell with anybody? Teilhard de Chardin. Mm -hmm. uh, Teilhard de Chardin was a, a, a Jesuit, and he. Um, was a paleontologist and he actually was on the team that discovered Peking man. And he wrote quite a bit, um, the end of the 19th century, early 20th century. I think he died in this, in the sixties. He was a Roman Catholic, but most of his writings were banned by the Catholic church. And, and they said, why don't you stay in China and keep digging up those bones that you like to do and just don't, don't talk about, uh, you know, anything like evolution that you might be thinking about while you're out digging up those bones. And, and uh, he had some really, really, um, really interesting things. I think he was very aware of Einstein's work with relativity at the time. And of course, that evolution and, uh, and yeah. interestingly, he even some of his writings even uh, foreshadow the internet. Um, oh, wow. As well. It's really, really interesting stuff. But he, he, uh, he has a theology that combines um, his, he has, he has a, a, a Christology that incorporates evolution. That is just uh, his, his theology of Jesus is evolution is is going towards Christ. That's interesting. I would I would love to hear about that. So I need the name of this fellow in the name of the movie that you were talking about earlier. Like those are two things that I need. The name the name of the movie is Places in the Heart. Places in the Heart. And um uh Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. And uh, the uh, his book about his book about um, evolution is called the phenomenon of man, and it is 
It is not an easy read, um, especially for somebody without a scientific background. Yeah. It's a, it's a bummer, but, um, and he was, he was French. So most of this stuff is translated. A lot of it is online in PDF form for free though. Ooh, great. Even better. Yeah. Free is better. As someone who spends too much money on books already. <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we will make a plan to, uh, to definitely do an episode on science and faith and you can talk all about that. Um, uh, I know Francis Collins is, is one that I would like to talk about, uh, BioLogos, uh, that organization. Um, a lot of, a lot of things uh, related to science and faith um, that I think we can touch on. This, this is what, what I've been reading recently is Walter Brueggemann's Brueggemann. uh, Virus is a Summons to Faith. It is, it is a really challenging, interesting read, and he delves, I guess he wrote it in April or May or something like that, put it out then, but he doesn't shy away from politics either. Um, it's, it's really, really interesting. Good stuff. All right. Well, Father Boyd, thank you so much for being on. Um, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. And, uh, peace be with you and have a good night. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoyed it.